All right, here we are <laughs> with chapter five, I believe it is. I believe it's chapter five in our series. I'm quite sure. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's number five. So if you've been listening along, great stuff. You're up to date on <laughs> the plot, the story. Otherwise, this is part of a series, so if you'd like, you can go back and listen to the previous episodes and get up to date with where we are at with our narrative, with our story. And the story is what happened in India. And I'm just sharing a few personal experiences of significant events that happened to me while I was there and attending the Osho International Meditation Resort in Pune. So, we just got up to the end of Mystic Rose, and my girlfriend had left. So, that's where we were, we were up to. So, if you'd like to know about what happened in Mystic Rose, you can listen to the previous ones. That would have, would have been the previous two episodes. So we had two, two episodes covering Mystic Rose. And before we continue our narrative, before we get along with the core plot, I'll just like to make a quick detour into an event that happened that I can't really place exactly in time. And in fact, a lot of these stories are not perfectly in chronological order. They're not exactly right with what happened before or after. But they all did happen, and they're all more or less in their right place. But there was a significant, I would say, awakening experience that I had sometime around Mystic Rose. And this was very different to the others. So... Without getting too technical, you have to understand that when you're awakening to the mystical in these deeper states, one of the things that occurs is that you become extremely deeply centered in immediate sensory perception. So you are extremely present and immediate with your sight. You're immediate with the sounds that you're hearing. You're immediate with the feeling in your body, with your touch, with your smells. So, as this was happening to me, and I was sort of having these things unfold, and I was attending active meditations on a regular basis, and I was in the Buddha field every day of the resort, and I was doing groups like Mystic Rose, I was also spending some time just sort of experimenting with myself, and there was one particular day where something significant happened. And I took the time to go to Lao Tzu Garden and to sit in a corner on a chair. And I sat myself down with the resolve to look at a leaf for two hours. And... <laughs> I said to myself, I'm going to sit here for as long as it takes and just look at this leaf. 
That's all I'm going to do. And I could keep track of the time because every hour they have the rooster crow on the hour. So I sat down just before one of those sounds went off and then it went off and then I waited a whole hour and then I waited. So it would have would have been over two hours. And for the entirety of that time, I was sitting, staring right at a single leaf in that garden. And over the course of those two hours, multiple fluctuations in my sensory perception occurred. And they were so dramatic, they were so far-ranging that it was enough for me to actually step back and sit into something that was beyond my senses. Now, it was quite a process. It was quite a trip in and of itself. And I don't want to go into too much detail because it can get a bit technical into the sort of consciousness and perception kind of language. And I'm really just wanting to focus on the story in this series. And furthermore, what came from that experience ultimately was this invention that I discovered, which I didn't really invent, but I sort of discovered. And I'm calling it the DOSTA method. (laughs) And it's basically oscillating between two points within your consciousness, one which is stationary and one which is variable. Okay, so it's a bit technical, right? It's very technical. So I don't want to go too far down that, but I will be teaching the DOSTA method at some point in the future, and there will be a course available which I will be creating, or probably by the time you're hearing this, it will be out and available. So look out for that if you want to discover what it means to be deeply centered in sensory perception awareness. And the effect, like what is the effect of being deeply centered in sensory perception awareness, particularly sight? Now, for me, this occurred after those two hours of sitting in Lao Tzu, looking at that leaf, I was staring at that leaf after having multiple shifts in what reality was, really. And the moment I stood up from that chair and actually broke my vision away from the leaf... I realized something had happened to me. Something had shifted that would never be the same again. The movement between all the distances of the things around me became so dramatic. And this feeling within me was just sort of like I was floating through space. It was like for the first time I realized that I was actually floating in reality. I was floating in air. And I was moving around and (laughs) I sort of joked to one of my friends later on that if if anyone had seen me in that moment, they would have thought I was walking on the moon or something like, (laughs) just all spaced out. And it turns out that my friend actually did see me. We had a big laugh about it. So, yeah, and then... 
as I was sort of coming out of it and then starting to walk around the resort, I was having all of these insights and all of these visions of what things appeared to be. And one of those was that I, I looked at a rock and I could hear it. My eyes were hearing the rock. It was a sound through my eyes. And that's actually something that I had heard of, an, an occurrence that happens as sort of stock standard in spiritual development, according to some models, which is when you have the, the, the dissolving of the boundaries between the perceptions, which occurs when you're very de- deeply centered in them. So that was one thing that happened on top of the spatial sort of awareness. And then probably most profoundly was, I was starting to see the surfaces of the walls and the reflections of everything around the resort. It was, it was shocking to me that this place I had been walking through every day for the last few months suddenly appeared to be very different. So you remember how I said there were all these black walls, these black marble walls? Well, these are actually reflective walls. And it was like now I could see I could see the reflection as it was this real thing. Like you see a mirror. When you look into a mirror, if you don't know that it's a mirror, you actually think, well, that like some restaurants have this. They have a mirror wall and you walk in and you think the restaurant will go further when actually it's just the same customers or the same benches. And that gives this idea of the space. Well, it was like that for me but with these walls and all around, right? And of course, it clicked in my mind that the glass, the the half-reflective glass, had been designed this way for this insight. So whoever had designed this resort had actually put that kind of glass there for the purposes of realizing this, of going from, okay, so this is just a flat piece of glass. Like thinking, the mind normally perceives things as like, okay, it's a flat surface, so it's flat and it's lazy. It's sort of like this gestalt default, if we want to be technical about it. And when you actually look at it, you see that there's a depth to it. And you can see both, right? You can see the flat and you can see the depth to it. And that evening I was sort of... (laughs) I was sort of walking around this resort, like just tripping. And <laughs> I'm sure if someone saw me, they would have been like, oh, what's up with that guy? Oh, he's doing Mr. Grows, you know, <laughs> something like that. But I then walked into evening meeting and the same thing happened, which was where there was the marble floor and someone sitting on it and the reflection was straight down right? It's like they were on the surface of the water and I could see underwater instead of what the original gestalt of my mind had been, which was, oh, there's a flat surface with someone sitting on it. So that was a awakening experience that was truly just sensory perception based. And that's very different to an emotional sort of realization, which is 
very much from the the heart with you know tears and laughter and these sorts of things and it's also very different to an existential realization which is of the cosmos or of god or eternity or infinity so yeah and basically since then i experimented a lot with <laughs> eyesight and perception and i've been able to actually develop certain techniques which you can do to sort of put yourself into this awareness and to break the lazy gestalts of the mind so that will be the dosta method <laughs> i've never heard anything like it before it's sort of my own discovery i can't i can't really say that i've invented it because you don't invent consciousness you don't you don't invent sight you just discover what's already there so <laughs> yeah very different again to of course what was happening with mystic rose so where are we up to in our plot let's continue with the core plot after mystic rose what happened was actually the monsoon came so the monsoon rains started and when they start they do not stop and i remember i remember thinking about them and thinking am i going to need a raincoat am i going to need an umbrella and this indian guy goes no 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 in pune the rain is only ever soft it's constant but it's soft you don't really get wet in the Pune monsoon. So I didn't buy a raincoat, but basically he was wrong. <laughs> he was wrong by a long shot because when it started raining, it started pouring. And I mean pouring. It, it changed between heavy rain and just rain. And when it was raining, all of the paths were wet with big puddles all around. And when it was raining heavy, the wet paths became puddles and the puddles became rivers. <laughs> so to be walking around the resort, I remember I was wearing these bamboo flip-flops or thongs as we call them in Australia. And I was just sort of walking around completely resigned to the fact that my ankles are going to be wet nonstop. So it was like this wooden bamboo flip-flops rubbing against my feet in the wet and the mud and I was always quite cautious of my toes because I'm quite sensitive around my toes I shouldn't tell you that that's one of my weaknesses you might use it against me but <laughs> and the resort did provide umbrellas so I'd always be walking around with an umbrella but the rain just just kept going and going and going and it was quite different to be around the resort in that time. And I really started to go into my own space. I really started to withdraw again. And basically all the friends that I had made in Mystic Rose, they left because their time was up. And many people that had come and I'd made friends with had gone again. 
And I sort of found myself in this place where I didn't didn't really know anyone that well. I wasn't really friends with too many people. It was almost like I was back to where I began, where I started with not really talking to anyone. And of course, the most the most significant loss was the loss of my girlfriend. And I'm sure I looked like an absolute fool to anyone who saw me because they would have seen me like going around head over heels for this girl, with this girl, sort of basically attached at the hip 24-7 we were. And then, of course, weeks later, I'm just sort of moping around and crying a lot and sort of having this glum look on my face and it's raining and really what started to happen was another kind of another kind of sadness another kind of heartbreak and when I realized she wasn't going to message me I wasn't going to see her again and I realized she really was gone it really dawned on me that's when the broken heart set in and I was just miserable. I was just just absolutely miserable and I could not stop crying. I was just crying. It was almost like another crying week of Mystic Rose and I remember like one day just walking through the resort with the sloppy feet in the water and the rain falling on my umbrella. And I walked past one of my friends and we just stop suddenly. And I said, hey, I I called his name. I'm not going to say his name. But hey, why am I crying so much? And I just look at him with tears pouring down my face. And he says, because it is raining. And, And I had actually thought that. I wondered if there was something to do with the the weather affecting my mood like when you're in touch with nature and you're sensitive that can affect you and in fact one of the one of the insights i wrote in my journal was if we smile when it's sunny and we cry when it's raining does this mean we are the world but i said to him as i was standing in the rain I don't know why I'm crying so much. I just can't stop crying. And he said, well, are you doing lots of meditation? And I said, yes, I'm doing dynamic every day and sometimes kundalini and some others. And he said, well, maybe it's understandable. Maybe something's coming up that you need to deal with. And we sort of parted ways and walked off. And then later we bumped into each other again. And he gave me a piece of paper. And I was like, oh, what's this? And he said, oh, it's a letter. Don't worry, just read it. And and it was a beautiful letter. And I remember going into the auditorium, going down the stairwell and just sitting on the steps of those emerald marble green stairwells by myself and opening that letter and reading this quote, which was from The Art of Dying by Osho and I remember tears just pouring down my face pouring onto the page and essentially what that letter said what was in that quote was that well if tears come you have to allow them if tears come you have to follow them this is 
follow the feeling process. And yeah, for a couple of days, I was just miserable. And I was just sort of moping around the soaked resort in the rain, in the dark. And I thought, well, at least it's not so hot. At least the weather is change but even even after a little while I started to think maybe I would prefer the heat to the wet to having constant constantly wet feet and eventually I realized well I've got to do something you know I've done Mystic Rose I should do another course and I was sort of feeling like you know well there's nothing there's nothing more heavy than Mystic Rose right I've done everything once I've done Mystic Rose but I was sort of going to a few little sessions here and there and just thinking about a few things that I might join. And I ended up joining a a group which was kind of like a a mixed bag or a wild card. And it was a three-day course which had a variety of different consciousness techniques and worked primarily with family issues. And that course was actually called living with joy and (laughs) it was quite funny because the facilitator said that she wanted to call it living with misery because the whole thing of wanting to live with joy has this barrier of well how do we deal with our misery And the course is going into the misery, looking at it. And it's not not just misery. It can be sort of how you were let down as a child and how you were betrayed or how your needs weren't met or how you'd been shocked or how you'd had trauma or any sorts of number of things. It was like misery is a general term. And she wanted to call it living with misery and then sort of going in, working with that and then learning to live with it, which would then in turn lead to living with joy. And of course, she said, well, the powers that be wouldn't let me call it living with misery because <laughs> then no one would enroll in the course, <laughs> which is probably true. But she called it living with joy in the end. And there was a definite there was a definite dip over the three days. It was sort of like day one going in, day two having a kind of rock bottom, and then day three coming out, and then the the, the evening after or that following days having this peak, right? And this this sort of shape, sort of like how it already happened in Mystic Rose, was something that I appeared, something that I noticed again and again in these courses and you know people have asked me like were there negative experiences (laughs) you know were there things that weren't good and it's like well that's a bit of a complicated question because for me to sort of have a broken heart and to me for me to work with my misery and for me to sort of go into something that's really quite painful it's not a pleasant experience right it's 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 hurtful it's really hurtful to relive those things but 
when you voluntarily, consciously go into those things, you're self-reflecting, you're integrating, you're amalgamating, you're really reframing them. And that leads to something very positive, significantly positive, which is more solid, more profound than just something that's surface level. And one of the things I worked with in that group, there was a couple of things. I worked with some daddy issues, that was for sure. And one of the main things was that I actually worked with my birth. And the thing surrounding my birth was that I was a nuisance to my brothers and sisters because they had to wake up early. They had to put their school uniform on to come and see the new baby. And I had always had this feeling like my birth was sort of unwelcomed, right? And to have something so foundational as your announcement into existence, to have that negative connotation, is quite a heavy assumption that can lead to a lot of mis... Like... Like, if the foundation's wrong, the structure's not going to be right, to use that sort of cliche metaphor. And, yeah, the way we reframed that in the end, through the process, I might add, it wasn't just a sort of ABC step, it was through a process, was to actually say, well, you were early because you were excited to get started. And I feel that, and I realize that in my life... <laughs> I've so often been early. I was always early to work. I was always early to music practice. I was always early. I've always woken up early. It's just like, come on, I'm here. Let's get it. You know, like up and at I'm charging. I'm coming early. So <laughs> that was a good shift. And I remember, I remember just like the few hours after that course had ended, going to the Basho for a swim and the guy on the door, the guy that runs the place was just like looking at me and he just says, you look so innocent. And I was like, whoa, you know, something had changed in my face. Something had really sort of shifted through that course. So that was living with joy. <laughs> and I will just say, a little bit more about the broken heart because it was it was so painful right it was a real just broken heart and perhaps on a more sort of sinister level it was sort of like i just i just need someone to i just need someone to have i just need someone to be intimate with right Part of me was just thinking that, like, I just have this animal drive that I need to divert somewhere. And there was also certain girls that I would chase and they wouldn't be interested and certain girls that I would meet and they wouldn't be interested and I'd make, I'm sure, terrible passes at certain people. And I remember <laughs> some pretty bad failures in that department. So, yeah, but... The other side of the story was that it actually came out that this girl that I'd been in love with wasn't quite who she said she was. And 
it went as far as, well, her name didn't actually mean what she said it meant. And she actually wasn't as old as she said she was. She wasn't the age that she said she was. And she actually wasn't interested in me in the way that I thought she was. And there were certain things that, well, you could suggest that would suggest that, well, she was just sort of going along with me. She was just sort of stringing me along. And as so- certain people sort of had these things or these bit- bits of information came up, I realized that, you know, she didn't betray me. And I didn't regret anything. And I didn't care at all what she had thought or who she really was, quote-unquote. I realized that even if she had lied, even if she had strung me along, even if the whole thing from her side had have been fake, it wouldn't have changed a thing. I still would have loved her. I still would have loved her more than anything. And I realized that, well, I actually had seen her. I trusted that I had seen a side of her, a part of her that maybe she just didn't know how to show anyone else. And maybe she got nothing out of it. Maybe she didn't have anything of the profound sort of experiences that I had. But I like to think she she felt something and she knew something about being with a guy like me. I mean, she's never been with a guy like me, that's for sure. And she probably hasn't since. And that's not to say, you know, she's probably with someone better. Who knows? But there's no doubt that she had not encountered that sort of high-level, deep interaction in an intimate relationship before. And I hope she has found that again. I hope she did find that again. I hope she didn't sort of sweep it under the rug as sort of an off chance. Because... It is possible to do that. It is possible to find something of real significance, true significance, and then not apply it to your life, right? It's like you have to learn from your relationships and then let that carry over into your next relationship. You really have to do that. And another thing that sort of helped me along in this time was that this this wonderful woman turned up who was a tantra teacher and she immediately became great friends with me i remember i remember the first thing i said to her was something about love and i said to her something about a broken heart and of course, I was very open at this stage. I was very still quite miserable. And I was sort of just, anywhere, anywhere I went, I just sort of spat it out. And I didn't really talk to much people anyway. So I think it would have been all right. But with her, I was saying something about a broken heart. And I remember her turning to me and saying, for a heart to be warm, it must break. And I realized, well, this is someone who's very experienced this is someone who knows the ways of love, the ways of intimacy, the ways of having lovers. And she'd actually had, I think, 
I think thousands of lovers. She must have had, if not thousands, hundreds and hundreds of lovers. And not just like passing lovers, but she'd also known love in a deep, intimate sense on multiple occasions over over years. So, yeah, and she also was quite a technician as well, right? It wasn't just worldly experience. It was also technical skills that she had. And I learned many of the Tantra techniques that I know from her. And we actually even discussed some and had some back and forth. And I was able to say, you know, well, what about this? And what about this? And, you know, nothing nothing happened between us. It was all, it was all strictly just friendship. And, yeah. And she's just an amazing, another one of those amazing people. <laughs> so, yeah. Very important friend to me. Very meaningful friend to me. So, yeah. And I mean, what else can we say? I mean, oh, I know what we can say. The next thing that happened in the plot was the monsoon festival. <laughs> so this was something else. In the monsoon festival, it's basically, I think it's about a week long and... It's to signify the end of the monsoon, right? The end of the rains. But of course, it kept raining. It just kept raining on and off. It was starting to be more like a sporadic rain by this time. And basically, every day had 10 times more as many people than the resort normally had, right? I'd been there in the low season when... Sometimes there might not really be that many people at all, right? There might be only 30 people in the morning meditation or 50 people in the morning meditation. And now with the monsoon festival, dynamic meditation in the morning was like 400 people, <laughs> right? Imagine that in this huge meditation hall. You're really quite close and everyone's pretty stinky. I'll tell you that. Pretty stinky to have 400 people in a room doing dynamic meditation during the monsoon in the rains so <laughs> that was quite incredible and i remember the buddha grove dance would go off that was amazing because when it was high summer there was like <laughs> something like 10 people dancing every day and i was one of them a lot of the time and we'd sort of sit in the shade in front of the fan. But now that the monsoon se season was on, the monsoon festival was on, it was just like packed out, 300 people dancing, mad pop music in the middle of the day. And sometimes it would rain and everyone would just keep dancing anyway. <laughs> so dancing in the rain. And the schedule was a bit different too. There would be different things going on, right? The schedule's always changing. You've got your core meditations, but... Other things were coming up as well. So the Monsoon Festival definitely had a very different, very different vibe. And I remember <laughs> I remember that whole week I did not go to the pool. <laughs> I was so used to I was so used to just having the pool to myself with just like two or three people. And then what did what did my friend call it? I remember one of my friends called it potato washing. <laughs> I don't know if that's entirely politically correct these days, but uh, we'll just have to say that there was some potato washing happening at the pool. 
So, yeah. Anyway, let's not let's not become too politically incorrect. We don't want to upset anyone by saying anything that's racially sensitive. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that sort of festive vibe and that crowd vibe was also part of helping me out of that broken heart and still still i had this thing in my imagination i had every moment that we were together me and this woman so clearly in my mind and for whatever reason for whatever point for whatever sort of who knows what i don't know how to say anything let me mix up my words about it it was just this this being that was in my soul it's like she'd entered into my soul and she was there and it was just like okay that experience has actually been really good because i was able to stay present I was able to actually look at what was really happening in front of my face. But now that amazing experience is gone and I want to cling to it. I want it to be in my imagination. I want it to be my cherished memory. I want it to be my sort of story of my life. And yet I knew even then on some level that I had to let that go and sort of be present with what was happening in front of me, which was... 400 sweaty men doing dynamic meditation. <laughs> Perhaps the po extreme polar opposite to what that woman was to me. So, yeah. I'd also been staying at hostels at this stage, and I'd sort of been jumping between a few, and that was really good because I got to make some different friends who weren't necessarily part of the tourist crowd, some younger people, and I met a lot of different people in those hostels, had some amazing conversations, Indians, French guy, a Russian lady, two English girls who were here after doing their school, and they were out to, like, party, and a lot of those people were a little bit young for the Osho thing. You've really got to be a little bit older to sort of be interested in that meditative life and you know they they're interested they check it out but i don't know if they're really going to get it just yet they'll get it later on that's all right and i actually oh, i remember <laughs> now i'm remembering what happened with this new place cuz i'd i'd moved out of a hostel and i'd like packed my bag and it was the last day and then i'd got with this woman this chinese girl and I'd been staying with her in the resort. And so I'd like left all my stuff at the hostel and come back a week later. And the guy was like, oh, I thought maybe you died or something. And not only that, but the next place that I'd planned to go, which was actually a house, a room to rent from this uh, Indian lady who became my friend as well. She was also like, hey... I thought you were going to move in like five days ago. <laughs> what happened to you? So so I was a loose cannon around this time, right? I was a really loose cannon. It was just like no sense of time, no sense of 
where I was going or what I was doing. I was just sort of going moment to moment, loose as. But eventually I was able to go back to the hostel, say thanks for taking care of my stuff, took my bag and moved house to an actual room, which was in an apartment. And it was still like less than a 10-minute walk from the resort. So I could still go to Dynamic every morning, evening meeting every meeting, every every evening. And there were also occasions when I would go out and see the city a bit. So you might be thinking, Duster, you're telling this story like you're just in this resort. Isn't it too much isolated? Did you really get to see the real India? Don't you know what India is like? Well, yes, I did see India. I went to temples. I went to a few tourist attractions. I did do some travel. I did go into the city. I did go to festivals. We went to the Ganesha Festival, which was, oof, that was something. Look up Ganesha Festival if you're ever bored and want to see some really outrageous statues. And, yeah, I made friends. I remember... I remember going to the Hare Krishna temple once and <laughs> there was this funny moment where the guy I was with, like, he said, hold out your hand and I held out my hand and he poured some water on and then he poured some water on his and he sort of drank it like this and I was like, okay, well, I'll do the same and I drank it and then we walked off and I said, what was that that we drank, holy water or something? And he said, yeah, it's sort of like holy water. That's the water that the monks took a bath in this morning. <laughs> and I was like, uh <laughs> right? But I realized that I realized that it wasn't actually. I, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't actually the water that the monks had taken a bath in. Because there there was there was a kind of scent to it, like a flavor to it, or at least at least I hope. <laughs> I hope it wasn't the water that the monks took a bath in this morning. So, yeah. And I mean, the Hari Hari Krishna temple was really, wow, that was amazing. So, yeah. I mean, there's this thing in India, which is, there's this terrible poverty and this terribly underdeveloped infrastructure. And yet somehow they also managed to have these temples, which have these extraordinarily elaborate sort of designs to them or I guess you call them shrines or deity statues or what do you call a a a diorama sort of thing so it's quite a quite a shocking sort of thing with this this beautiful sort of religious thing and then the poverty and those two things together whereas in Australia it's sort of like okay we're good we got good roads we got things that work but it's all sort of average it's all sort of you know where's the where's the thing that you look at and you think whoa godlike sort of pointing to the divine you don't really get that maybe in some of the architecture you get that but not really not like in india so yeah <laughs> i think that's probably probably enough for this chapter and Around this time, I was sort of looking, what am I going to do next? Because I've done some heavy courses. I have to do something. And I ended up deciding that 
I was going to work. I was actually going to work at the resort. So that meant actually moving into the resort and being in there full time, being completely emerged and doing the work program, which meant all day, every day for at least two months. It was a two-month commitment. So that's going to be the next chapter. Look out for it. (laughs) So, yeah. Thanks very much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. I hope you're enjoying the series. Leave me a comment. I really like to get comments. It's quite rare that I get any comments or even any views on my episodes. So please, if you're watching this, leave me a comment so I know that you're out there. (laughs) And of course, tune in again next week for the next installment of What Happened in India. That's all I have to say for now.